0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to this week's Stock Club. This week, I'll be taking over hosting duties from James, and I'm joined by our founder, Emmett Savage, and a very special guest, our good friend from The Motley Fool, Jason Moser. Jason, welcome back to our pod. Hey, thanks for having far me back. Too long.
1: Well, it has, it has, but thanks to the miracles of modern technology, you know, we can we can connect anytime, anywhere.
0: Yeah, well, we're always happy to have you, but of course, we've asked you this week on for a very specific reason, and that is because today we're talking about real estate, um, and what can only be described as a kind of explosion in what's called eye buying, uh, in which technology companies are effectively buying homes from people directly and selling them onto third parties. But before we get into the individual businesses, Jason. What is going on in the U.S. real estate market right now? <laughs>
1: um,
0: I, I, it's tough to come up with the with the
1: word that really does it justice because it's been pretty it's been impressive, uh, to, to say the least. If you're a homeowner, um, it, it's a wonderful time. If you are looking to buy a home, I am. I would imagine it has to be pretty miserable at this point because I mean the housing market is, has exploded. I mean I I think you know we see news. I think also Canada is is witnessing something very similar. But but I think a lot of this really started. Right, at, right as all the pandemic stuff started back in, in, in early 2020, I guess, um, and we've just seen this shift in the way people are working and prioritizing their lives and what they ultimately want to do and where they want to do it. And so we've just seen a lot of folks getting out there and uh, the demand for homes has just shot through the roof. The supply is still very limited. Um, but what we've seen here with the metrics, I mean, the, the core uh, the core logic, the Case-Shiller Index, it, it, it's it's you know it's rising anywhere in that 18 to 20% range home prices now are 41% higher than the last peak in 2006 during the housing bubble then and so what it's resulted in is just this this tremendous uptick in home prices it's resulted in i think some fear of missing out right that fomo and when you get that, I mean, right? Home home buying is is an emotional process, and, and those emotions start to really churn in 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 uh, conditions like this, and it's just resulted in these, these amazing gains in, in the in the housing market. That I mean, if it's if it's sustainable, that that remains to be seen. I feel like at least the banks are writing better loans. I mean, I could certainly mm-hmm. speak to. Um, Having gone through the home buying and selling process before, we we refinanced our home here recently. We also opened up a home equity line of credit not all that long ago for, for a home renovation project. The, the paperwork that we had to provide, the documentation we had to provide the bank, I, I was astounded at how much they were asking of us. And, and I was astounded because, I mean, we've had we been through the process before. My wife and I are both fully employed, excellent credit scores. Uh, I mean, just very, very low-risk borrowers. And we still had to provide everything but the kitchen sink for them to be able to prove those mm-hmm. loans. So that I – honestly, I mean, it was frustrating at the time, but I think that's good, right? I mean, it's nice to see that banks are being so strict with their lending as opposed to 10 years ago where you could just walk into any bank and get a loan for anything. It, that 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 doesn't seem to necessarily be the case now, and that's good.
2: Jason, that's really interesting because really you're speaking to two guys whose understanding of domestic rental and purchasing has been largely informed by living here in Ireland where we are. And I think it's fair to say that the process, you know, or at least the pricing stability over here in very large part is dysfunctional, which is down to a massive lag between supply and demand. They're entirely out of phase. But my perception was that in the US, you know, that supply demand curve had pretty much hit the perfect intersection. So I'm really surprised to hear that prices have shot up something like 40% in such short time.
1: I mean, it really. I think it just does boil down to the supply uh, variable of the equation. I mean, it, it supply right now is just extremely limited. So we're certainly seeing that language in a lot of the homebuilders' earnings calls. I mean, it's it's a good time, I think, to be a homebuilder. I mean, you're probably going to be busy for a while. But but yeah, I think really that's been that's been the core problem is supply is just is just not. There right now, and you know we've got a lot of people here that are in a position now where they can Mm. they can in theory go out and buy a home. But again, Mm. like I said, it's becoming more difficult because the prices have gone up so much, and you're seeing a lot of all cash offers, waiving a lot of the 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 requirements like home inspections and whatnot. I mean, they they just were going in there buying sight unseen. So there is sort of a speculative dynamic to the environment today, but it doesn't seem to be as bad as it as it was 10 years ago but it's it's definitely still there
2: it's amazing because last night i was reading the la times as you do when you live in dublin and it was they have this feature called the reality check insights you know so and they asked the respondents to rate you know various components for whether these components were essential to realizing the american dream and only 45 percent of their survey base which was a big representative base believed that home ownership is now part of the American dream. And I was really surprised at that because, you know, they said like in the same survey, like a third of people believed that doing better than your parents was essential. And only 13% thought that becoming wealthy was an essential part of the American dream. And it said that in the last 10 years, 7 million new homes were built in, in the United States and it left me wondering, will we see another 7 million new homes built into 10 years ahead if it's less related to fulfilling the American dream? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I,
1: I, I think when you're younger, you have a different view of the world, right? I mean, I think when, you, when you're in your 20s, your early 30s, you're thinking about things a little bit differently. And, and, and as you get older and you decide maybe you want to settle down or you have kids or you grow a family, then you're, you're your your attitude starts to change a little bit. Your your vision of what you might want your future to look like changes a little bit. So I, I do think there is I think that I think that dynamic is in play a little bit there. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I I do think also that we've we've witnessed sort of this this change in in the in the employment landscape, right? I mean a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of uh, workplaces are now incorporating hybrid work or fully remote work into their models, which then means that employees have the opportunity to kind of live anywhere they want, right? People can pick up and leave. I mean, there is a tremendous convenience in renting, right? I mean, I, I think we've all been there, right? You 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 have a lot of freedom, a lot of flexibility. Uh, whereas if you buy a home, you're kind of settling down. You're you're setting some roots, and, and that that is a big difference. So I, so I think there probably is a little bit of that dynamic in play, but it does it does feel like homeownership maybe isn't quite the priority that it used to be. But I also think that once you buy that first home and you realize the the windows of opportunity that that homeownership then opens that can start to change your attitude a little bit. It it gives you more it gives you more financial freedom, really. I mean, you you have the opportunity to do more as a homeowner here because you have that equity in that home. But but it's 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 kind of like having kids. I can tell you about mm-hmm. it all day long, but you don't really understand it until you're actually in the middle of it.
2: <laughs> yeah. But you know, and sorry, I don't mean to steal your job here, Rory, but I have a question which is really like on that very point, like can you describe to me in just a few sentences that a the choices that an American homeowner has When it comes to selling their property, you know, every country brings its own kind of like this, just everyone does it a certain way. What is it? What is that in America today?
1: Well, I mean, having gone through the process a few times, I mean, what it really boils down to is. Number one, identi- I think you need to identify where you want to go next, mm. you, it, it, particularly now, because because it's so difficult. I mean, it really is a seller's market. I mean, to go out there and buy a home, it's not like you can just find a house you like and then go buy it. You're going to have competing bids. So I think really identifying where you want to go, uh, first and foremost, and then identifying really what you feel like you're going to be able to get for your home, what needs to be done to your home to make it more attractive for buyers again i think now that's less of a concern because so much demand is out there you can kind of you can sell your house probably without having to do much much of anything to it um uh, now i mean that you're you're going to probably take a little bit of a uh, hit on the on what you're going to be able to get for it but but yeah i mean i think i think that's the primary consideration is not only figuring out you know, what, what you're going to, what, what's an acceptable offer for your home, but then identifying where you want to go. And then really the traditional model for so long, you, you identify a, re, a real estate agent, you find an agent to represent you to then get that transaction taken care of. That clearly is changing. And, and we'll talk more about that with the iBind process, but really, I think it all starts with identifying where you want to go and then finding a real estate agent that you trust uh, will represent your best interests.
0: Yeah, so you you, you mentioned that I buying there, Jason. Obviously, that is the hot topic in the industry right now. But let's just take a few steps back. You know, I think if you were talking about tech-enabled real estate businesses a couple of years ago, you're really talking about kind of two publicly traded companies. That kind of Zillow and Redfin are the ones that really spring to mind. And both those businesses were kind of harnessing technology and the internet to help people buy and sell homes. But they're both doing very different things at the core, right? Give us give us kind of brief overview of those two business models before this i buying craze kind of kicked off.
1: Yeah, Zillow, Zillow to me was always so it's it's been such a fascinating story. Like when it first came public, I, I was kind of I was I would say I was skeptical. It just seemed like a a platform with a bunch of of homes, but but the information was lacking. I mean, there was just it was a lot of misinformation on those platforms. I mean, we would look at You know, our home, for example, on Zillow, and and we would say, well, that information is not correct. where do they get that? We have three bedrooms, not two. there are four bathrooms, not three what What's going on here and so that you know that that was a little bit frustrating at first but but that was also Zillow really just getting getting started and and that has improved i mean they they get a lot of their information from those uh those m l s listings, which are basically just a you know a gathering of, of all sorts of different real estate markets but but ultimately, yeah, Zillow at its core was and still is to a degree at least I think I think it's the best app out there for finding a home. I mean, they've, they've really done a great job in making the information more accurate. But, but, but ultimately that's what it was. It was this model where they had this app that just displayed homes all over the country. Real estate agents could then sign up through their premier agent program to you know be, become agents with Zillow and, and, and being able to participate in that in that uh, market that they had built. And and that's the way it was for a long time, and it worked out well. But it it seemed like you know for a very long time their former CEO Spencer Raskoff, it, it, he, I, I became I became less confident in his ability really to take the business forward, and that's ultimately what I owned Zillow shares for us for a short time. Uh, personally. And, and I just, I became a little bit disenchanted with leadership there, uh, which ultimately I was very happy to see Rich Barton take over as, as the CEO for the company. He's the co-founder of the business, took over as CEO several years back. And he, I think, was really the one who spearheaded this movement to buying and diversifying their business model, so to speak, because they also realized that with the advent of businesses like Redfin, for example, which is similar to Zillow, but different in that Redfin really is running its own sort of agency. Uh, Zillow realized, hey, listen, there's going to be some competition out there. So uh, there was some consolidation, right? Zillow bought Trulia, Uh, Redfin introducing a similar but a little bit of a different business model in their agency approach. They both worked out very well, Redfin being the smaller of the two. But but yeah, I mean, it's been just traditionally such a difficult market to disrupt for, for whatever reason. From a consumer's perspective, it's great. You can find anything. I understand why the agents don't like Zillow, right? The agents who have been firmly established in their communities for so long. I mean, here in the States, it's not uncommon to see, you know, real estate agents plant signs everywhere. I mean, there's a lot of advertising on the agent's part of here. And uh, the internet has obviously disrupted so many things in our lives. It
0: just seems like now it's really starting to take hold in, in the real estate market. And, and ultimately, I think that's a good thing. So it sounds like kind of you're saying Zillow had a kind of, I suppose, advantage in discovery, but Redfin probably had some kind of structural cost advantages because they weren't paying the big commissions.
1: I think that's a very, very good way to put it. I think yeah. that's exactly right. Zillow made discovery so easy and so pleasant. I mean, like, I, you know, I, I people people just look at Zillow f- just for fun, right? I mean, they may not even be in the market for a house, but they go to Zillow just to look at it to see. I mean, mm. right? It's it's it's. I mean, they use that term real estate porn, right? I mean, it it kind of feels that way. People just look at Zillow just to look at it. Uh, But yeah, I mean- Redfin.
0: <laughs> my partner's definitely into the old property port. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I mean, my, my wife still loves looking at it. And I mean, we're, we're firmly settled, right? We're not in the market to buy a house. Um, and I, I'm i guilty as well. I look at it sometimes too and think, well, hey, maybe 10 years down the line, we want to move somewhere. What does this place look like? And so discovery is just tremendous on Zillow. And, and, and to your point about Redfin, they, I mean, went in there. And I think this is what really got agents' attention is Redfin has been trying to disrupt that pricing model in, in, basically bringing the cost of the transaction down for, for buyers and sellers. I mean, you hire that agent, but man, you're paying an, you're paying an awful lot of money to, the, to that agent to, to, to make that sale happen. And then you're also typically going to be you know, paying uh, those, those transaction costs in some form on the purchase as well. Uh, so, so Redfin really working to bring those costs down. And, and that has been a, a threat to the traditional agency model as well.
0: I mean, I think so moving forward, then I think things kind of really started changing in this space around kind of 2018, 2019, when a company called Opendoor came onto the scene. Um, and Opendoor really was one of the pioneers of this this new way of conducting real estate transactions, this whole iBuying model. Emmett, you've been a fan of Opendoor for quite a while. I know it's a stock you hold in your Horizon portfolio. For those who don't know what Opendoor does, can you give us a kind of brief overview of this whole iBuying model?
2: Sure. So, iBuying is a new movement that makes up a tiny portion of the overall housing market in in the U.S. Uh, like I think currently, purchasing at the moment of half of one percent of homes across the whole U.S. metropolitan areas are sold via iBuying. So, iBuying. What does the i stand for? Intelligent buying. Uh,
1: what does the I and iPod stand for? <laughs> I and iPhone, <laughs> iTunes, something. I don't know.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, actually, so so Opendoor claimed to be the leaders and the inventors of iBuying, which is a process where you go to opendoor.com, you put in your home address, you kind of put in a few other parameters, number of bedrooms and kind of state of repair or disrepair, as it were. And within 24 hours, they will give you an option to buy your home that you can accept and reject or reject and they will basically buy your home from you. They will go, they will drop a team on it, they'll uplift it somewhat, they have a fixed cost for improving the home and they will sell it at a later date. And actually it's funny, I had an eye buying need before I have even heard of the idea. My my wife and I sold our, our first home about 10 years ago and I, I knocked into our next door neighbor to tell her that we were selling just out of good manners. And she said, oh, do you mind if my daughter has a look at it? And the next day we shook on a deal with her that resulted in us in, ha- in us having zero sales time, A slightly lower than market rate, but no long process involving, you know, a viewing public walking through our home every Saturday or logging on to myhome.ie, which is like the Zillow of Ireland, to look inside the home. So like the deal was done really quickly, zero friction, no headache. And that was kind of, that is what you get with iBuying now. And and actually, Jason, there's uh, someone I'm sure you know from Fooldom called Chad Ferguson. And I was chatting with Chad and he told me that he and his wife sold their home last year via Open Door. And, you know, I can't recall the first time I heard of somebody using Amazon, but I will remember Chad because I'm convinced... That in 10 years from now, iBuying will be the preferred method of selling for most Americans because of the efficiencies it brings in. And I think the differential that exists at the moment between iBuying and, let's say, traditional real estate methods will narrow as these kind of businesses get more and more and more efficient.
1: I think I think you're right, and, and just to confirm, the I does stand for internet, which makes a lot of sense.
2: Oh, internet, uh, okay. yeah. But they're all at it now. I mean, they're all, they've all got an eye buying wing. Sorry, but like Open Door, like they only do eye buying. But Redfin and Zillow now have a very fast growing eye buying uh, kind of section to their websites, and and I think that is indicative of a growing trend. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you've seen. I mean, every, everything that the internet has done. I mean, it's it's given us a new way to
1: value our time, right? I mean. I, 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 listen the first home that my wife and I ever bought, this was back in 2005. okay in and, and the backstory here is that we were in Egypt. We were living in Cairo, Egypt for three years for my wife's job. She worked for the State Department. And so we were just kind of getting—we uh, we'd just been married recently. We were we had our first child on the way, and while we were there in Egypt, we were saving money as we we're working at the embassy. And we thought, okay, this is a good time to buy a home. We actually bought our first home. It, it was essentially an eye buying process. We found the home that we wanted on the internet. We toured the house on the internet with, with pictures. I mean, this is 2005. I mean, they still even mm-hmm. had this capability then. We toured the home via the internet. We found a real estate agent in that area via the internet. And we essentially worked everything out online. We actually didn't even see the house until we got back to the States to go close on the actual purchase. But we... we had enough faith in everything that we had seen and in and you know that the process here is such that i mean inspections have to be done and things need to be accounted for and boxes need to be checked so i mean we knew going in that there are enough enough folks in the process there that that are are all you, you can't just go buy a clunker of a house so we felt confident even back then and that to me was was just the sort of that that was like wow that that is the way it should mm-hmm. be going mm-hmm. forward, and and I, I certainly understand why agents felt threatened by that. So so they've they've been trying to figure out exactly how to pivot and become more of a part of it. Because I agree with you totally. I think that convenience. I mean, it, it, just like the internet has given us a, a new way to value our time. I mean that mm-hmm. the home buying process is no exception.
2: I have three like very current facts about iBuying buying here in front of me. The first is that iBuyers buyers purchase less expensive homes than a typical home buyer. And, and the last quarter, I buyers according to Redfin, the last quarter I buyers bought homes for a median of $302,000. Uh, by comparison to let's call it the typical American home buyer was $320,000. The second fact that is really current to my mind, because I really don't believe this will be the case for much longer, is that iBuyers are selling homes in 13 days, which is a record pace. The typical time to sell a home in the US is 31 days, but iBuying it's 13 days. So it is definitely faster, faster rather. And then, of course, iBuyers offer lower commission to agents when they sell homes. You know, I think that the, these stats right now, I think we're going to see a vast improvement in those three dimensions, which is I think people will, will scale up. They'll buy more expensive homes in a shorter time and that the commissions that are offered to agent will be further pressurized. And that, that kind of triangle is putting a huge weight on the shoulders of traditional real estate agents.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, so both Redfin and Zillow now getting into iBuying. Zillow certainly kind of dove headfirst into it back in 2018 when Rich Barton came back, as you said. Jason, uh, there was a great quote from him that said they were going to target the super empowered, smartphone-wielding, uberized consumer. And and just three years later, it is the largest segment of their business. It's grown 70% just in the last quarter. Um, Redfin took kind of a more cautious approach, but they're certainly exploring it now. With all these three businesses now in the space, I'll ask this to both of you, what do we think? Does one company have any structural advantage here or is it too early to tell or is this such a nascent opportunity
2: that they could all win? Emmett, I'll let you go first. (laughs) Well, for a start, I think they can all win. To just go straight to the bottom line, they, they, they. At the moment, they're, the market is looking at them quite differently. When you look at how they're priced, if you trend how the three stocks have uh, have the share price has gone over the last year, it's very similar. It seems like they're all coupled, or tripled as it were. But market cap of Zillow is twenty five billion, Open Doors eleven billion, Redfin is five billion. They they have different ownership structures and return on equity, but I do believe. That each of them will use what they've got to their advantage. So open doors, I suppose, USPs, this is the only thing we do. This is our this is our speciality. We are the best. We will do it fastest. We will do it uh, leanest. You can change your mind halfway through the process with no cancellation fees. So they have a lot of USPs that's quite appealing if you're committed to the eye-buying route. But for Zillow, the amount of intelligence that they've built as to Jason's point, like is just unbelievable. I look at Zillow, I've looked at Zillow's app for at least 10 years, just kind of having a look around properties in the United States. I used to own a property in America in the late nineties and kind of caught my interest from that point. And then Redfin for me, uh, I'm not sure. It's the one that's, I'm not quite there yet. I don't know. What about you, Jason? No, I I think, I think
1: you're right. And I think all, all three can win. I mean, I I think the main reason for that is, and I'm going to throw a Number out here that is just kind of astounding to think about, but there's 1.6 trillion dollars of real estate sold here in the U.S. annually, and so I mean, you guys know when we're looking for investment ideas, I mean, one of the things we love to find is a large and growing market opportunity, and, and um, I mean that is that is I mean, 1.6 trillion dollars is a pretty big market opportunity, I'd say. I, I do think to to my to my mind, I think the toughest part of this equation is the discovery side. And, and I think you made that point too, and I think with Zillow, I think they have a little bit of a leg up because they've done the toughest part first in building out the discovery, building out the technology, making it so easy. They were really kind of first in that space. So there's a brand equity there that Redfin and Open Door simply don't, don't possess. I think from that perspective, in, in the fact that you've got the co-founder and, and Rich Barton back in, in the driver's seat there, to me Zillow is probably that's that's the more attractive of the three. Uh, but it's not to say that all three can't win. I just think that they've done so much hard work for the past you know decade plus in building out that app, the discovery, getting that information correct, and really taking what has been a very fragmented regional market and and being able to consolidate it at at ultimately a global level. I mean, you can look at Zillow from anywhere in the world, right? Mm. I mean, they basically bring the U.S. housing market to 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 anyone anywhere and and that that is that is tremendous i think but but yeah i think uh they're all trying to do it a little bit differently i just think zillow you know that that david Gardner, Gardner sort of first mover advantage i mean i think mm. i think there's something there for sure
2: well on your point about zillow there's a very interesting low tech website called iBuyerStats.com, which basically week on week shows Public information plotted on the three big iBuying websites, which according to iBuyer stats is uh, Zillow Open Door and OfferPad, and Zillow have just accelerated. So Open Door have really solid growth in the number of houses listed. It's the the shape of a curve you want to see in an investment. It's just growing, 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 week in, week out, but only a couple of Lip's exceptions, Zillow put their foot to the floor and you can just see the number of homes that they have is accelerating. Now, Opendoor still have the lead. It seems like right now, today, Opendoor have something like about 3,700 homes listed as Zillow has about two and a half thousand homes. But if we go back to just kind of March time, Zillow had a handful of them, you know, just had a handful. So I do agree with you. I think the, as you say, that the the part of deciding where you want to be and knowing the locality you want to live in and the kind of the supplemental information that you consider Zillow has a huge lead on that. But I, I still am, I'm quite an open door fan because they are not a first mover in their field.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that I like open doors focus. I mean, I think that's what makes it so attractive to me is they really are focusing on that one specific opportunity. And, and, while it sounds so attractive on the customer side, the consumer side, it, it's a seamless sort of process. I buying, it really makes it easier. It, it, it relieves a lot of the friction. It's hard work and it requires a lot of capital on the open door side, right? I mean, for them to actually do that stuff, it just requires a lot. It requires a lot of capital. It requires a lot of manpower. It, it, you're, you're having to, I mean, I mean, there's so many hands in that cookie jar when it comes to buying and selling a home here in the United States. It's just a long and convoluted process. And I mean, uh, understanding that these businesses are trying to to relieve that and make it more seamless, but it just it just goes to to the point that it is it is very hard. Um, mm. It requires a lot of manpower, a lot of capital, and and I think that that to me that's why Open Door seems so compelling is because that really is their focus. And going back to what we were saying earlier, it really does feel like this is the direction the world is headed. Mm. So then you know you like to see them with that focus.
0: Just looking back from a kind of broader point of view, and this might kind of spoil everyone's fun, but this whole buying homes, holding them on your balance sheets, it seems to be working out quite well at the moment. Um, but surely this is a huge risk. <laughs> I mean, I, it's not really that long ago that we had, you know, a certain financial crisis, part of which was fueled by rapidly rising house prices and speculation in the space. How comfortable should investors be uh, with this kind of model? I mean. It, is could another boom and bust cycle just kind of wipe any of these businesses out? Is that possible?
1: Definitely possible. I mean, I, you know, when you, I would say you start looking towards the investing environment to see if, I mean, are, are we, you know, will we see the securitization of these homes into these sort of exotic financial instruments that, that then enable more speculation and, I mean, sort of like this NFT and crypto and mean stock craze. I mean, you see people going in their sight unseen and speculating. I mean, I think that's the key is to just to, to pay attention to that speculation. Because for the businesses themselves, I mean, the key is to just keep that inventory turning. Hmm. I mean, they don't want to hang on to those houses for very long at all. So, kind of like with retailers, I mean, if you start seeing those inventory levels just, just keep on inflating and 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 the, the you know the revenue is not following. Then, it, then, yeah, that does become a little concern. But I think, I think, ultimately, you just you need to look at the the overall investing environment and make sure we're not seeing some more macro trends that could be contributing to risky and speculative behavior.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we kind of discussed this when we were talking about Robinhood. This is a business that um, really kind of prided itself on removing friction. And, you know, sometimes removing friction isn't always the best thing to do. Uh, There there might be be a case for adding a bit of friction in there sometimes. I
1: mean, that's a very good point because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about a house. I mean, this is one of the biggest, if not the biggest purchase you'll make in your life. There's a lot involved with owning a home i mean it's a tremendous responsibility and and, and i mean it, that's why it's not for everyone i mean there are just folks out there who really shouldn't own a home right it's just too much of a responsibility and they don't need to be taking that on i, I mean there's just a lot that goes into it and and i think that's that's something worth remembering it's 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 not like you just buy it and then send it back if you don't like <laughs> it
0: <laughs> seems like that's where we're going <laughs> um guys this has been a fascinating conversation Jason, you've introduced me and by proxy our users to some fantastic businesses over the last few years. I couldn't possibly let you go without asking, is there any companies on your radar at the moment our listeners should be keeping an eye out for adding to their watch list? Sure
1: thing. I'll give you, as a matter of fact, I will tell you the the stock that I purchased most recently. Wow. And I just bought this, I guess it was last week. So the trading guidelines, I can start talking about it now. So there's a business called C3AI. Oh, yeah. And it's a relatively new IPO. It's, it's it's just been just been public for a short period of time. But you know that I, I focus a lot on my job at the Fool on augmented and virtual reality, five G, the digital economy, and connectivity. So I, I always kind of look at five G being sort of the sun. In, in the solar system and all of the planets orbiting that sun are, are the opportunities. And you've got, you know, 5 Gs the sun and you've got like artificial intelligence, machine learning and virtual and augmented reality and internet of things and all of that stuff. Those are the opportunities that that sort of or, orbit that connectivity sun. And, and so C3 AI is in the business of artificial intelligence and they have an interesting approach to it. Uh, their customers are enterprises, so big companies. And ultimately they have a, a sort of a model-based approach towards helping these enterprises Enterprises incorporate the the benefits of artificial intelligence into their models. So so a, a young business, but but one. Like you talk about where the direction where the world is headed. I mean, I think we're only going to see more and more businesses. Bringing in that that artificial intelligence, machine learning dynamic to their operations, and uh, we saw eighty five percent growth in their uh, customer base over this over this most recent quarter, which was encouraging. So so a very a very young business, one that you look at the stock chart. I mean, when it first went public, I mean. There were there was some speculation there and then the stock has has come back to reality thankfully and, and and that was kind of what really sealed the deal for me was was seeing that stock come back to reality. Um, so I went ahead and and took the plunge. but yes, yeah, C3 AI the ticker is AI.
2: Nice, nice. Plug and play AI. That's what we like. By the way, Jason, terrific to speak to you. It's been too long. You know, only a small selection of our listeners will recall that you and your longtime colleague, Brendan Matthews, used to produce the highest quality pitch videos from My Wall Street, which at that time we used to embed in our app. So my question is, are you two guys still talking? (laughs) <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, Brendan.
1: So Brent, yeah, that's we've had so much fun with with you guys through the years. And it's just I, I always say that, you know, we we need to get over there to Ireland. Just it's a good excuse for me to go play golf for, for a week and I can hang out and talk stocks with you guys. And hopefully when all this stuff clears up, we'll we'll be able to make that happen. But yeah, Brendan is still with the fool. He's working now with Motley Fool Ventures. And so sort of a venture capital side of the business that we have. So he's taken his investing acumen to that uh, side of the business, helping us build that out. But yeah, Brendan and I talk frequently. We're we're, uh, good friends, have a lot in common, and uh, he's doing very well.
2: Well, me and Rory only communicate through our legal teams or Slack when he's had a glass of wine.
0: (laughs) We don't even tell each other what stocks we're looking at anymore. (laughs) That's for my service. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, you got to protect yourself, right? Yeah, Um, the
2: survival of the C3 AI. (laughs) Looking out for number one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much again, Jason. If you would like to hear more fantastic insights from Jason, you can follow him on Twitter at t-m-f-j-m-o that's t-m-f-j-m-o and you might get the occasional watercolor thrown in there as well yeah
1: you know now that we've <laughs> got this construction done on our house I'll, I'll be able to get back down to my studio and try to you know finish up a painting that i've had sitting down there for a little while
0: <laughs> brilliant okay well thank you so much jason that's all from us this week at my wall street check us next week when james will be back and normal service will resume goodbye <music>